What's going on, people? Welcome back to another episode of Drive Africa. I'm your host, Titus. And I am Jolene, the co-host. Hello, and welcome to the eighth episode of our African Voice series, uh, where we speak about uh, our life abroad. And today we have Tony, who is here to share his story. Uh, we're excited to have you. And yeah, uh, let's, let's hear what Tony has to say. All right, to you, Titus. Thank you, Jolene. So, um, so today we have um, Tony. Uh, we know each other from, um, you know, from high school. Uh, somehow we went through different kind of experiences in high school, and you know, everyone is actually doing their own things right now. Um, so, before we can go into the details, uh, Tony, uh, maybe you can uh, introduce yourself, uh, where you are, where, where you live right now, what you do, and then we can start. Oh, yes, thank you. Thank you, Joel, and thank you, Titus, for inviting me over to the podcast. I'm so honored to be here and to be able to share my journey and I guess who I am, you know, starting with who I am right now. So myself, um, as, as mentioned, my name is Tony. I'm originally born in Eldoret, lived in Eldoret for the, for most of my life, Kaptaga uh, to be specific. And um, currently, I'm I live in uh, New Jersey, New York area, um, literally just across the river. Um, but I'm also career-wise, I work as a data engineer for Booz Allen Hamilton. Uh, it's a consulting company that uh, consults for the government, military, and uh, intelligence agencies. And I think that's all I can say for that. Um, but uh, my career spans a whole lot of ways, and I think I'll be able to explain that as we go. Yep. Thank you. So uh, maybe we can just go back to, you know, after high school, what you were doing before you uh, you uh, relocated to the U.S.? Oh, yes. Good question. So for me, uh, I was doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> as funny as it sounds, uh, graduated high school uh, with a vision of just trying to get to the U.S. That was my goal. Um, and I grew up in so as you all know, you know, it's a it's a running place. People run, there's always people running training to, to be professional athletes. So it was a group or a camp that was uh mostly geared towards getting people to come to the United States to, uh, to get scholarships, athletic scholarships. Mm-hmm. So while I was in high school uh for the year, well, uh, last year, so I decided to that I was gonna pursue that route as soon as I finished high school. So completed high school before even the results came out right right in December I went to a training camp uh, I quit after two weeks because it was just too hard um, <laughs> but then um, after staying home for like a month I realized well there's nothing for me to do so I started running again um, and six months later I got some scholarship uh, offers from some schools after competing and um, December of 2011 I got my visa to come to the U.S. Um, yep yeah. So, uh, and in terms of really interesting to know that, um, because I've heard about this program. So I was just wondering if it's um, some sort of um, a sponsorship or some company or an NGO that does this sort of um, um, helping people to get to the US or what sort of a setup is it uh, is there? Uh, yes. So that's a very, very important question because I think a lot of people struggle with this. Uh, a lot of people, especially in Kenya, you know, people are like, well, I'll help you out. You know, so long as you pay me this much, I'll help you out apply to this school, that school. Uh, the liberating part for most people that, that I would want most people to realize is you can do this by yourself. Nobody needs to help you in this process. If So long as you're technologically savvy, you understand English, you can do this by yourself. Everything is just out there open. So Google can do all this for you. For example, for me, um, in that camp, the camp was 
I guess the mission for the camp was to bring everybody together, have a training group that, you know, are pursuing the same mission of getting a scholarship to come to the U.S. and to help them in terms of, you know, some people are just coming from different backgrounds. They just want, you know, you need help. It's a new program. You don't know what much about it. There's so much that needs to go in between you starting the camp, applying to schools, applying to get a visa and actually traveling. So they help you in terms of bridging you through across all those processes. But for me, um, it was a little different because I didn't like that part where we had to pay somebody to do stuff for you. So I decided to do it my own. Um, and the layers of, of, of stuff that you need to go through that I, that I personally had to realize was you have to take a test, uh, the SAT exam, um, scholastic aptitude test, which is both mostly math and English. Um, and then on top, of course, before that, you have to graduate high school first uh, with some decent grades and then take that SAT exam. Some schools require you to have extra, like test of English as a foreign language, uh, right. TOEFL exam. And th that will depend and vary by school. And there's also another, you know, that's the own educational part. Those are the requirements you need to satisfy to be able to be admitted to a school, meet a certain GPA requirement, meet a certain SAT score requirement, meet a certain TOEFL uh, score requirement for you to just get admission to the, to the college you're trying to go. But then the money part, where it's the important part, the scholarship part, is going to be determined by, of course, you know, your, your times running wise and, you know, how you are, what agreement you have to coach. And to be able even to get to the point where you, you get offered the scholarship, you also have to get clearance by the the national, uh, it's called NCAA. So there's different divisions for different schools. So there's division one, division two, division three. Most division one and division two schools give scholarships. There's also another league called uh, NAIA. I, I don't want to say the full name, what it means. It's a long, you can just look it up. But NCAA, uh, I went to NCAA school. NCAA school is National Collegiate Athletic Association. I think mm -hmm. that's right. They also have a clearance process where they'll have to clear you. You have to meet the GPA requirements. You have, you know, they make sure that it's a fair competitive environment. So they don't want people, somebody who's like 40 competing with, you know, teenagers just coming out of high school in college. So they, they, they want to make it fair. So you have to clear with those people first. And then also, you know, after that, the coach will give you the scholarship and then right. you get, they send you the I-20, which is a form that you take to the embassy. So yeah, so that was the process, but you could do this by yourself. All this, all the information is online, reach out to people for help, yeah. but people try to monetize this back home, which is not bad at the same time. You know, some people like stuff to get done for you. So you have to pay for services, but I feel like, you know, I did it by myself. Anybody else could do it by yourself. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I usually think it's, um, there's always this kind of, um, uncertainty, you know, lack of information and people don't really think it's easy. So they see it as a, <laughs> as a process that maybe you need to know someone to be able to, uh, yeah. To, to get yeah. there. So, um, just one question about the, um, the process because it's really interesting to uh, to know that you actually decided to to do this alone um what was it clear to you what exactly you wanted to study or uh, you were just trying out oh no yeah for me i wanted to study english i actually got my i20 my first one was english just because i loved english in high school i thought well and i did pretty good i was like why not just continue this you know that's the mentality back when you graduate not you know this i don't want to say home uh, all over the world really you know most most African countries, let's say that, you know, you graduate high school, you did really good in certain subjects, so you're more compelled to pursue a career that surrounds that field uh, or that course that you took that, you know, that subject. And for me, I was like, oh, English, I'm just going to study English. And then, you know, I got the I-24 and I came over here and after doing it a little bit, I was like, what's the main goal? Why am I doing this? You know, 
I started asking myself those type of questions, uh, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to to be when I grew up. <laughs> and I think it, it took a long time. It's still, I think I finally figured it out in 2020 what I wanted to do when I grew up. <laughs> so you can tell from like 2012 when I got here to now. So yeah, yeah. it's been a journey. Yes. It is. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering since you, since you did the, the process on your own and I was just wondering how, how difficult was it though? Was it, did you like, any point regret not having taken help or or was it just easy as long as you you found out all the information um how was it really was there a difficult part in the visa application or the whole yeah the whole uh, application process was what part was difficult what what uh, what would you change rather what what would, would you do better you know yeah that, that's a very good question because it just kind of prompts the introspection on my part as well so for me i don't think there's anything i would change honestly um if i was going to go back i would have done it i would do it the exact same way i did um the main let me start with the challenges the challenge for me was uh as you know you know back home the internet is not as accessible at least back in the day uh back in the day it's 2012 for me um these days i think it's gotten better but uh back then you know you had to go to the cyber cafe you had to pay some you know money which uh, let me just equate it to tokens uh, that to be able to access the internet for a specific amount of time and uh it was very slow too so if you guys remember uh super yeah. slow and yeah. took a long time and remember imagine i have to go to the school my process was go to the school websites that i feel like i want to go to this schools well first first of all pass through the ncaa website look at schools that are division one then incrementally go through all those schools looking for the names of the coaches go to the school website and then go to the athletic website and then go to the cross country uh, athletic section and the track section and make sure I take the emails and names of the coaches for those programs and also their phone numbers and then write it on a piece of paper that I had I had a notebook and I would write all of them the school the name of the coach contact information and everything and also, I would go look in their roster and see if there's any Kenyans first. <laughs> that was yeah. another uh, metric that I had to think about. Well, because I want to see if there's any Kenyans that have gone there before so that maybe I can reach out to them on Facebook and be like, yo, you know, well, did, you, did you get a full scholarship? Is this a school that I should be considering? Whether it, You know, just for research purposes. And I would do that for over, I did it over for over five, over 500 schools, to be honest. I lost that notebook, but it was full of like 500 contacts in, in total. And I ended up applying to over 200. Um, I had a good success rate for some of them, uh, but the success rate, I don't think I got, you know, I think I got over about 100 replies out of the 500. And yeah. out of the out of the 100 that I approximately that, that responded back, uh, only five of them gave me I-20s that I basically was like, okay, here, we're going to give you a full scholarship, just go try it out in the embassy. Uh, but I ended up picking one for a good specific reason that I had. But... Mm -hmm. The challenge was just to, you know, the money to go pay for all those times that I spent on the cafe. Um, uh, yeah, and um, but I ended up having a great agreement with one of my friends. Uh, shout out to Anthony Camayo. Mm -hmm. um, he's here in the U.S. as well. He was pretty. Uh, he had a cyber cafe close to the camp uh, where we were training at, and um, so I used to go help him in, in terms of just kind of managing managing the day to day flow of people coming in, showing people what to do, what you know, in computers. Because um, most people are just coming to browse, just you know, for fun, or just look up some stuff, or log on to Facebook. Yeah, Facebook was a thing. I mean, it was just you know, still pretty new back then. So they were creating their Facebook profile. So I was helping people in in terms of that. And uh, during the night when it's closed, he would just give me access. 
to go back into cyber. So I would stay up until two in the morning, looking up school and doing this process that I was doing right now. And that helped a lot. And, um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing for it. I would just do it the same way. Um, I think I learned just how to be inquisitive and just look, I guess, find out what, what information I need to be looking for and just Google. I Googled everything. Um, thanks yeah. to Google. <laughs> yeah. The determination is just everything. I mean, applying for like 500 schools, that's, that's, that's something right there. Um, so what about when, uh, did you, did you know anyone in the U S before you moved? And, uh, so, like, how was the transition moving from Kenya to the U.S. Um, after after the visa and everything? You you on the on the plane. You you've moved. So, how how was the transition then? Did you have someone to receive you? Did you did you did you know any addresses or how how was it like? Yeah, um, good question. Uh, so, I think I'm going to segment this a little bit. So, for me, um, I knew some people here, but most of the people I knew were you know, other students that came through the same process like I do from Kenya as well. Uh, we came on a athletic scholarship to different schools all over scattered around the country. Um, I knew some of them that had gotten visa because I was at the camp, saw them training as well. And, you know, they went over, they saw them come over overseas. But for the school that I went to specifically, there were uh, three Kenyans there by then. And um, the process for how I was received personally was the coach came to uh, airport in Atlanta, Georgia, because my school was up in uh, northern Atlanta. North, north, northwest, actually, yes, Appalachian Mountains. So he came to the airport, picked me up. Uh, he didn't know how I looked like, so he just had a name on a piece of uh, paper. Mm-hmm. And um, all I did was just coming up the escalators. You know, I saw my name. I was like, yep, that's me. So I just went up to, to him and I was like, yo, that's me. And uh, so he was like, yeah, okay. Uh, he was like, I'm glad to see you. I'm, I'm glad to see that you're pretty slim. You're not, uh, I was expecting somebody walking up the stairs with a uh, big gut and two kids and a family or something. So it was kind of funny. So, um, you, know, you know, listening to your story right now, it's, um, you know, it, it shows the importance of uh, being patient, uh, persistent at the same time, because I mean, those times there were quite a lot of challenges when it comes to connectivity, uh, internet, information. I don't, I don't even know how you trusted <laughs> the online sources for the 500 schools, but it shows that, you know, um, if you have some sort of set goals really, and you, and you stick to them, um, they pay off at some point. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, just to understand, I mean, um, some of the problems or challenges that people have, um, is the um, is the paperwork right? Um, from my experience here in Europe, it could be different. Um, it's all about bureaucracy. It's all about um, you know knowing exactly what you need, which is hard because maybe there's language issues or not knowing exactly where to go to. I don't know how was was it for you. Uh, yes, I think the culture shock. I think that's the first thing I'm going to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the culture shock for me was was real. Um, like I mentioned, you know, I think the first time I encountered it was when I was picked up from the airport the first day, mm-hmm. and uh, the the coach took me to a restaurant. He's like, "Hey, did you eat?" I was like, "Yeah, I just ate uh, airplane food. Uh, it wasn't so great." So, um, so he took me. He was like, "Let's go to Subway and uh, let's grab something to eat there." And we got there and I saw a bunch of buns and, you know, green. I've never, you know, never seen people eating just salad. You know, I grew up in Eldora. I don't know who eats like fresh kale, you know, like just from the farm washed, of course. But so I was looking, I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to pick and then they're going to go back there and cook something, you know. And uh, <laughs> and then I saw I saw him getting in line, picking up the sandwich, you know, just everything green, green, you know, getting all this mayonnaise and stuff on it. 
And then um, I was just say, okay. So he expected me, to, I guess he expected me to already know this. So I went also on the line and the guy was like, hey, what, what can I get you? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I just need the bun. That's it. It was like a toast bread. I was like, just need that. Um, I went through the line and the guy looked at me. He was like, are you sure you don't want something on it? And I was like, you just want it that way. I took it, went, even grabbed the cup and went to the fountain machine. I didn't even know how to operate the fountain machine. First of all, it's just too hilarious. And the coach had to come help me out. And it was like, you're not getting anything on your bun. How are you just eating a bun like that without nothing on it? And uh, it's uh, th- that was kind of like the first culture shock for me. Everything tested horrible. The Coca-Cola tested horrible. Everything just tested horrible. I just kind of started messing home at that point. Yeah. And I couldn't even eat pizza because pizza was just nasty to me at that time. But, you know, these days it's a, it's a different story. But it, that was the first experience I had for culture shock. Um, in terms of, you know, paperwork and things like that, that was that was always a constant worry and concern uh, for me. Uh, and I think for everybody else uh, that comes here as a student, because there's challenges from just, you know, I think the paperwork is kind of like a distant a little bit because you're like, well, I still have four years to finish school, so I can worry about that maybe in my last year or something like that. Um, but the current worry is always, you know, school is already paid for. If you have a full 100% scholarship, then, you know, you're good. You full Meals are paid for, room is paid for, school is paid for. So nobody owes you anything at that time. So, um, or you don't owe anybody anything. So, and the challenge always becomes, you know, you need things like tissue paper, you need toiletries, for example. Um, when are you going to get the money for that? Because, you know, school is just not going to provide you that. They paid everything else they can provide that for you as well. You know, you're going to take care of that for yourself. And the challenge comes in where you need a job uh, or some people don't have full scholarships, so they have to provide, you know, they have to make some money to pay for the balance. And most people usually end up uh, walking under, working under the table, which basically means working without any formal, because here they have like E-Verify, which is you have to have, uh, there's a social security card when you come here, they give you, if you apply for one, it's, they usually write on there in red, you know, not authorized to work or something like that, only authorized by DHS, Department of Homeland Security. Mm-hmm. And for most people, you cannot use that to work because the employer is just going to look at it and be like, okay, you're not qualified to work, so I'm not going to employ you. And what ends up happening is most people just get jobs under the table. And it's, for me, for example, you know, um, I've, I saw a lot of people working in gas stations. Um, and most of these gas stations were owned by uh, Indians from India. And so, I, you know, this is just my assumptions. I think the, the, the blend was a little easier to understand because everybody the international, they understand the struggles. So they, some of them were employed under the table and that's how they got, you know, the money to, to be able to, to pay for school and pay for their daily living, like toiletries and stuff like that. Right. Um, it, it's, it's definitely a challenge because you also have to work there knowing that the immigration can and might come find you. And that's a, that's grounds for deportation right there. So it's a risky, it's a risky affair, <laughs> but people are already here. They're willing to risk anything. So I think that's always the biggest challenge that I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So um, and, and actually, like uh, before we uh, we close this segment, um, just wanted to know uh, if you were to advise someone, what are the key things that they should know before, you know, uh, deciding to move. Uh, either for studies or work, whatever. Yeah, so for me, my advice for somebody trying to come over here, um, I would say, you know, put in, put in enough thought into mm-hmm. the process of coming here. Um, I know it's already exciting that, you know, you, you have this, you have an open window of opportunity to come here, which is great. You know, you can come, it's either you can come in a hospital. I think everybody who comes here, at some point, they're going to struggle, regardless. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to struggle at some point. It's going to get really, really bad at some point. 
um, you know, regardless of how you come here, it's going to get really, really bad at some at, at a given certain point, and things are going to get better after that. So it's just knowing and keeping yourself realistic about your expectations when you get here. Um, you know, you hear a lot of stories. Ah, you can go there, clean some toilets or go, you know, clean, manage or just kind of clean all the people. And you can make tons of money because people make this uh, convergence in their brains, you know, one dollar, a hundred shillings. You know, you can go there, you can make a hundred dollars a day. Yo, you can be, you know, you can have a lot of money in Kenya. You know, you start comparing, but you don't think about here. There's rent, there's insurance life insurance health insurance car insurance there's car payments if you don't have to pay the car and then there's just bills and bills gas water i don't know rent so things pile up by the time you spend on just the necessities just to keep you alive like rent food and all that stuff by the time you spend all that and maybe like a salary of thirty thousand a month unless you're living in you know really really hard conditions then you can have that yeah i've seen people do that but it's you have to be really realistic and think about, you know, maybe talk to so many people that you think would be able to give you different opinions of how they've navigated uh, the environment here and open up a little bit of your mind for some risk, uh, which is okay. Just, you know, keeping in your mind that this could turn out not the way I expected it. And I think just preparing for that, the mental model I usually employ in anything that I feel like I have to make a decision on is, I usually think about the worst case scenario and I think about the best case scenario. And then what usually happens for me is in the middle of that, of those two parameters right there. So I think about, you know, like, you know, worst case is you get deported from here. <laughs> Once you get here, so you do something terrible and you get deported. Best case scenario is you come here, you make a great living of your life. You know, you, you, you get a good job, you're stable, you have a family, I don't know, you become a millionaire, whatever. Think about your best case scenario. And then what usually happens is in between here, uh, for the most part, at least. Mm-hmm. So you, that kind of keeps you, that usually keeps me sane so that instead of getting down that spiral, you know, start spiraling away in, in your thoughts. So, yeah, but at the end of the day, I say, just be passionate. If you're passionate about it and you'll always find answers. So just go after it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think what stands out was, uh, is the passion that you had. And I, that's probably what kept you going and, uh, as, and as well as being uh, realistic. But uh, you've also talked about, uh, talking to other people and finding out um, the people who've already lived in the US. So I was just wondering, how did you get in touch with such people? Did you, how did you um, get in contact with the, with people who would like tell you what to expect and and what to do in certain uh, situations? Or was it just like your coach and, and the new people that you had met? Uh, tell me about that first, that first um, yeah, encounter with people and how they helped you. Yes, uh, that's that's a very good point to note. Um, I think for me, what helped me a lot was I, as soon as I got here, I just realized, you know, I went to a school that was 99% white uh, in demographic. So, you know, I could not speak Swahili to anyone. Um, most of them couldn't understand me because Appalachian uh, Mountains up there, um, it's a little country. So it's a little hard to understand their accent sometimes. But uh, I did understand most of, most of most of them at that point, but they couldn't understand a word I was saying, although I was speaking English, right? Um, so most of the time I found myself the first two weeks or about, about a month writing, you know, carrying a piece of paper and pen and I would write down what I was trying to say. But sometimes I would explain something for like a minute or two then after that somebody's like wait what what did you say i didn't catch any of that so um <laughs> i started carrying pen, a pen and paper at that point but for me i think what helped me a lot was just not you know not i guess shrugging from that fear of, or are they going to understand me you know there's a new culture is all this maybe i just need to be you know and back home we had taught that talking in low voice and just being respectful 
is is the, is the is the correct way to handle things. But here you find people here, they're more loud. They talk loudly, even if you're talking to me across the table. So I had to understand that, okay, I just have to adjust. I just have to adjust. I have to be really friendly with people. I just have to be, although I feel like I was an introvert, I forced myself to be an extrovert and uh, just mingle with people. Be nice. Talk to people. Be open. Be willing to help somebody if they need help with something. And it, it kind of, it, it kind of compounds from there, you know, it kind of opens up. So I'd say just kind of let let yourself free and live and enjoy and mingle with people. Don't be reserved to yourself or just don't hang out with just Kenyans or just whatever minority group you want to hang out with. Just open yourself, interact with different people, get to understand what their thinking process, they think they understand you. And that's how you form relationships. So network networking is a skill. And I think that's something that I ended up building over time. And that has helped me a lot, even just getting jobs, just yeah. whatever, anything in life. So I think building those networks is crucial. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so uh, as we come to the end, uh, thank you so much, Tony. I think the story that you've shared is really um, interesting. And I, I'm sure people will uh, would love to know exactly, you know, <laughs> some of the details. Um, so we've come to the end of the, uh, the first segment. Uh, Stay tuned for the next one. We will be uh, talking about um, the experience of Tony in the next uh, steps of life, including studies and, um, you know, a journey to, um, you know, education into uh, the job uh, life. So thank you so much, Tony. Oh, thank you. Thank you. My pleasure is all mine. All right. Thank you everyone for your time. We've come to the end of this segment. Uh, stay tuned for the new episodes in the coming week. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram or Anchor FM or Spotify. Uh, the links are shared below in the description section. Uh, please, if you have any question, you can post on the uh, comment section and uh, we'll be happy to respond to you. Uh, and thank you for your time. Peace out. <laughs>